0: hello hello everyone I'm Peter Resnick and welcome to the dr. Peter Resnick's toolbox today I'm not even sure about what I want to start with what I want to share with you first I have received emails that I want to respond to I have show and tells (laughs) several uh, to share with you I have a few subjects that I want to address Well, let me start with a little announcement, a decision I made 45 minutes ago. Several of my students have been asking me for a while if I would teach a course in clinical hypnosis. Remember, I used to be a co-director of the American Institute for Hypnotherapy. I teach the course only once in four or five years. And because I already have six people waiting for the course, I said yes. Uh, I will be teaching the course during the first week of June, five consecutive days, four uh, hours each day, 20 hours. The class is limited to 10 people, and it's done in person. Hypnosis is one tool, I believe, that cannot be taught online, and it is not safe to be used online. Uh, It must be done in person. If you are a social worker, psychologist, or a life coach, you may find the tool of clinical hypnosis quite useful. Uh, The course will include the basic course on how to use hypnosis, various induction techniques, as well as as, um, my approaches um, to how to deal with and overcome help a person overcome addictions. Uh, also the program, gentle birth program. I uh, do this gentle birth program for decades now, helping women to have a good experience during delivery. I started it back in the Soviet Union. At that time, I called it painless childbirth. I have testimonies, women saying i Felt wonderful, I was kept smiling, felt fantastic and didn't experience pain. But in America, of course, I cannot say painless because, God forbid, um, one will feel discomfort and they will be sued. So I call it Gentle Perth Program. So I will teach uh, the whole program during these 20 hours. And also I will teach how to do past life regressions. So if you're interested, please contact me, write to me, uh, peter18resnik at gmail.com. I will gladly send you a write-up on the course. Okay. Yesterday, I had a conversation with my brother before going to sleep. Not a good idea. Just kidding. Uh, but our conversation triggered many short night dreams that I had um, full of conflicts and obstacles. I understand that the conversation triggered in me all the internal disquieting feelings slash movements that I have been too busy to sort out. The night dreams did not bring any vision for the solutions, only reflected the problems, the challenges. You see, my brother is a Reiki master. Those of you who are not familiar with Reiki, it's an energy healing technique originated about 100 years ago in Japan in which the Reiki master uses gentle head hand movements with the intention to guide the flow of healing energy or life force to the client's body to reduce stress and promote healing. So he, my brother told me about the people he has been seeing lately in the last few years who are sick, not with one particular problem as it was in the past, but as it appears, people, people's whole internal systems are collapsing. And I have been observing the same uh, in more than last few years. Uh, no, not right after the COVID, way before. COVID, I think, only made it worse. And my brother and I started speaking about how sick our beloved new home has become, the United States. How fragile and unsubstantial people's talks are, ideas, egos, and their bodies have become the same. I noticed actually the first signs of it some 15, 16 years ago. Uh, Kind of I was alarmed when the teachers and trainers, um, my son, Aaron, was going to play different games, baseball, uh, football, uh, soccer. And the teachers and the trainers were giving trophies to the team that also lost, not just to the winners, but they were giving trophies for participation. And it was weird to me. So God forbid, and that was explained to me, the children's feelings would not be hurt. They deserve an award for just participating. And, and then of course, after that, a few years later came political correctness. You must watch what you say, lest you offend someone. And there we went downhill. Men are encouraged not to be men. Um, what is it? The husband of our vice president said, a "Toxic masculinity. No, you cannot be. You cannot be a man anymore. Women are brainwashed that just being a mother is somehow degrading, and in fact." Betraying women's fight for freedom and equality. The whole country is divided. The president is feeble and disoriented. And he is the embodiment of us, of our community. I don't remember who said this, but I heard it a long time ago. People, every people deserve the leadership they have. We're not all well. We, individually and as a community. And what came to me also, and that was a lady when I was lying in bed, couldn't fall asleep first. What came to me was in ancient Rome. How did ancient Rome fall? After being the greatest power of the world for 500 years. Historians say, if I remember correctly, number one, corruption within the empire. It was a major problem. So our corruption is within the pillars of the society we rely on. The real pillars, FBI and CIA were weaponized, used for political reasons. Our healthcare, FDA and the National Institute of Health are run by uh, and sponsored by pharmaceutical companies. The work of the ordinary law enforcement by the cops. Regular guys like you and I is compromised by politicians. You saw what happened in New York. Cops were beaten up by illegal immigrants. Defund the police. Now they're not saying defund the police anymore. Thank God. So the second reason for the collapse of Roman Empire was the overexpansion of the empire, which led to its administrative division. Uh, we are, as a country, overexpending, constantly fighting wars, so many wars, nonstop after World War II, defending our so-called interest abroad, We are sending just decided, I believe to send $60 billion to Ukraine, defending their borders when our borders are broken. And the third reason for the fall of the empire was the invasion by by Germanic tribes from the north, from Central Europe. We are, as a society, we are waiting for these Germanic tribes. This time, I don't think it will be Germanic tribes. It's different kind of tribes. But they're just waiting. They're waiting. There are countries that are looking at us, watching how we are degenerating. I feel, and it's my personal opinion, we need a real cleaning of the house. A strong leader who has the courage to do it. My personal choice would be either Donald Trump or Vivek Ramaswamy. I believe his last name. The the guy of Indian descent who is no longer running. But for the or, or Bobby Kennedy. And if the if Trump would win, I would love Bobby Kennedy to be the Secretary of State. He would not be afraid. Of either pharmaceuticals or CIA because he already spoke spoke up against them and about what they're doing he would clean up the house if they let him live. so I started on this heavy note <laughs> uh, I have received several emails which I want to respond to uh, and we may just may move on with the exploration of the Bible that we started but I do want—I uh, don't want you to hesitate to call me while I'm talking um, with your questions and slash or your comments. Uh, my number here is eight 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 seven four four eight eight eight. Again, eight 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 seven four four eight eight eight. And if you want to send me an email. I repeat it, I already said it's Peter number 1818 Resnik, R E Z N as N N C I K, at gmail.com. In fact, I appreciate your emails. I know not everybody is ready to make a call and talk on the radio um, in, in public, but uh, I do, as you notice, I do read your emails and I'm happy to address whatever subject you ask me to address as long as it concerns health. Uh, but though, as you can hear, sometimes I talk politics. But again, I'm not a politician. I'm not an expert. I'm just sharing with you my feelings. Okay, we'll start as usual with show and tell. I found this on the internet. Maybe the journey isn't so much about becoming anything. Maybe it's becoming, maybe it's about unbecoming everything that isn't really you. So that you can be who you were meant to be in the first place. Isn't that interesting? Maybe the journey isn't so much about becoming anything. Maybe it's about unbecoming everything that isn't really you so you can be who you were meant to be in the first place. That that is a powerful message. What it reminded me of when I read this message, many years ago when my son Aaron was about six or seven years old, his mother and I were worried about him. He didn't have good social skills, he was quite oppositional with us, very demanding. I don't even remember what the problems were, but his teachers noticed it. He was misbehaving in school. We even took him to special socialization classes, which he quit after a few few times. I shared my, uh, uh, my concerns or our concerns with my friend, and mentor, Dr. Gerald Epstein, remember the one who introduced me to my teacher Colette. may he rest in peace, he is no longer with us either. And Jerry said to me, don't worry Peter, he will grow up and become who he already is. I thought of that statement. I repeated that statement time after time. And finally, I understood it by remembering about the first time I used the skill I learned from Jerry and Colette to understand my son and to honor his needs, honor who he was at that time. Well, (laughs) that requires telling you another story. Well, you know, one of the tools I utilize in my practice is human morphology commonly known as face reading. I gave several talks on face reading on this show. So when Aaron was, this is the story, when Aaron was one and a half year old, and I or his mother or his grandmother wanted to hug him, he would scream. He did not want to be touched. He did not want to be hugged. And I just left him alone, but they insisted. You know, mom wants to hug the baby. And I saw that he was really uncomfortable. And it suddenly dawned on me. His mother and I have brown eyes, which is according to morphology means that we want and we need closeness. Uh, And he was born with blue eyes, meaning that the person needs personal space. They can develop closeness, but even in close intimate relationships, they always need private space and time to themselves. So the thought I had was, if this child came with the need for space, and we impose on him through force, this unwanted closeness, the imposition will confirm for him, you're not safe. People want to take your freedom away. And he would grow up avoiding closeness. So I convinced Lisa and her mother to leave Aaron alone and not to try to hug him. Fortunately, by then, they trusted me. They knew my work well, and they agreed. And for some six, seven months, unless Aaron initiated any touching, no one touched him. And he was clearly happy about it at that time on the channel 13 they had this uh, barney show some of you may remember and this big dinosaur was very cuddly sweet and always you know friendly at the end of the show he would open his arms and say and now a big barney hawk and all the children will run to him, and they would all hug. And I remember, like now, God, so many years passed, uh, uh, Aaron just learned to walk. He and I were playing in front of our garage. We still lived in Rockland County. And at some point, he turned to me. He opened his his arms and said, Daddy, Barney hug," And we hugged. And from that time on, he did not mind hugging. So back to the story Uh, when he was challenging at the age of six, seven. I remembered this episode of his life and put together with what Jerry said. He will grow up and become who he already is. And I decided then that I would not argue with Aaron. But if he did something that was not right, according to me or his teachers or his mother, I would say, well, this was one way, but not the only way to deal with this situation. And I knew that Aaron was very curious. He's still very curious. He was curious from his babyhood. And sure enough, he would say, whenever I would say, well, there is another way. He would say, what's the other way? And I would say, well, I will tell you later. And then the story of the magic bike came along. You know the story of the magic bike, ladies and gentlemen? Of course you don't. I made it up. I told Aaron one day a story about a boy who found an old broken bicycle. The boy worked patiently for a long time trying to repair the bike. Finally he did it, he succeeded, and then he changed the tires, and then he painted the bike. He put so much love into this bike that one day, as he continued his work, he heard in his head a voice. And the voice was thanking him for doing such a good job of taking care of him. The bike, the bike was talking. The boy understood that the bike came to life and was communicating with him. The bike told the boy that he wanted to repay the boy for his kindness and he would, that he was a magic bike and that he would take the boy to different on different journeys. And so, ladies and gentlemen, the journey started, which lasted about three years, at least uh, a couple of times a week, pretty much as often as Aaron would get in trouble would have some conflict in school or at home with his sister or mother. At bedtime, the magic bike would take Aaron to some magic land where the same events or battles or celebrations or adventures would happen. The same, I say, because they would contain the same situations in which he got in trouble, in which he had a conflict. That day, the the conflict happened, and then Aaron would be taken to that magic land. And then during the journey, with the help and advice of the magic bike, the conflict would be resolved in a way that everyone was happy. And slowly Aaron changed. And by the age of 12, he had a lot of friends and became a caring, considerate, respectful human being as he is now. Aaron is 25, and we still sometimes speak about the magic bike stories, but we remember very few. And both of us regret that I never wrote them down. Uh, but, But back to the statement above, that we need to peel off that which we are not and become who we really are what would happen i think if we his aaron's family tried to impose our will on him in order to make him compliant i think he would spend years peeling off the fake personalities that he would put on the face you remember greek word for the face is persona, which means a mask. He would put on that mask in order to survive. Does it make sense to you? Uh, What I'm saying is that when we, particularly when we talk to our children, we have to pay close attention to what their needs are. In a gentle way, guide them what we believe is right without trying to impose on them our will without trying to change them totally appreciating how they communicate what their needs are anyway i got carried away with my stories uh it was supposed to be a show a quick show and tell okay uh Oh Yes, I also wanted to share with you. That's another share uh, Show and tell I wanted to tell you about um, Tucker Carlson, you probably know that he was let go by Fox and he started his own uh, TCN Tucker Carlson network You can subscribe to it for money not expensive something like six dollars a month, but it's so worth it to me It's the most interesting reporting He interviews very interesting, courageous people. He has the courage to speak on the subject that nobody, no network seems to be interested in. And yet, these are the most burning issues of our time. Last week, he went to Moscow and interviewed Vladimir Putin. And just before the interview, he said he was not particularly a fan of Putin. But why, he asked, was it that everyone spoke to Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, but nobody asked Putin, nobody was interested in hearing his side. Uh, The interview was absolutely fascinating. I listened to the whole two-hour interview. Um... If you have an opportunity, I highly recommend. And just yesterday in the evening, during my evening walk, I I watched an interview uh, Tucker had with, uh, I hope you pronounce correctly, Kelly Means, who worked for pharmaceutical industry till he no longer did. And he spoke about this company, Novo Nordic, uh, from Denmark, this company fun- manufactures a drug called Ozempic. O- Ozempic, the drug which is forbidden in Europe but marketed in the United States. He makes the case against this drug, Ozempic, which is prescribed for obesity. Yes, 80% of American adults these days and 50% of American children are overweight. For the company, it's a goldmine. The American Pediatric Association, which is heavily sponsored by, guess what, by pharmaceutical companies, in particular by this company. American Pediatric Association as the first line of defense for obesity for children suggests this drug. You know the organization NAACP? Uh, Colin Min says, is a, and it's on their website, It is a registered lobbyist for this company, Novo Nordics. Of course, they receive a handsome donation from the company. And on their website, actually, it is stated that those who do not support the government funding this drug are part of the systematic or systemic racism. They say, if you do not support this drug, you are racist. Because uh, certain communities in certain communities, obesity is a huge problem. Uh, they're not talking about any side effects. And yet, this person uh, talks about uh, the drug dig- destroying the digestive system. And in fact, once you are on this drug, you have to stay in it for the rest of your life. Because the moment you stop using it, you gain all the weight back, and it is forbidden in Europe, and it's in European country. They found a good market. I just spoke about corruption uh, in the United States. Is it not corruption? Okay, next subject. My Gary, my friend Gary. Uh, remember the, the guy who is sending me all these wonderful links to the most powerful presentations on vaccination, on COVID, on globalists, on the destruction of our food supply. I can barely keep up with watching all those videos. And I'm so grateful to Gary for sending to me all this information. Of course, I look for information.
1: Uh,
0: from other sources I watch BBC uh, and the Russian news and Ukrainian news and I watch Joe Rogan and Tucker Carlson and CNN and Fox uh, it's overwhelming recently Gary sent me a link to a video which I did not like at all but out of respect for Gary's efforts I want to mention it and this was a presentation by Chris Hedges at the Islamic Society of Central New Jersey. And the presentation was titled The Death of Israel. I watched it all. And of course, the audience there was very receptive to what the speaker was saying. Nothing was mentioned during his his talk about Israel moving out of Gaza in 2005 about billions of dollars spent on building tunnels rather than improving Gaza's infrastructure nothing about the leaders of Hamas becoming billionaires and nothing about october 7 and absolutely nothing about israel on numerous occasions offering palestinians 90 to 95% of all that they wanted and the palestinian leaders walking away From the negotiating table. It was all about occupation, apartheid, and so on. I did not mention this video because it was yet another propaganda piece. Uh, But I wanted just to share with you that I did receive this video from Gary. Last week, Gary sent me uh, another very interesting link to uh, five one-hour videos, which are super interesting. So far, I watched only uh, the first two episodes. Uh, They are talking about General Motors, IBM, and Ford giving support to Hitler. I knew about this before, but these films have a lot of factual information uh, with interviews, Uh, of people who are still surviving eyewitnesses. Okay, (laughs) another piece, my God, it's half of the show, but I did not even cover a third of what I prepared for you today. Now Ricardo, I have to answer Ricardo's email. Uh, Here is his email. Dr. Resnick, thanks for answering my question about Jesus. You made a lot of things clear from the Hebrew perspective. Once you mentioned that you owned an apartment near Harlem. Wow, good memory, man. (laughs) I spoke about it maybe a year or more ago. You describe how you would see the Hispanic people living in tiny and desolate apartments yet they were happy. You contrasted this experience to the clients who who lived uh, in the Upper West Side and were not happy. Besides such experiences like death, divorce, loss of a business or being sued for millions, why would such people who live in some of the most expensive buildings in New York be unhappy? That makes no sense. It's a very good question, Ricardo. Yes. I remember I owned an apartment on, uh, in a high rise building, 95th Street and First Avenue, and just 15 blocks up, I believe on 110th Street, there was a fresh produce market. And my girlfriend and I, on Sunday morning, would stroll up through what I remember, if I remember correctly, was called Spanish Harlem. That was a year, 1985, 1986, almost 40 years ago. Ricardo, I take your questions seriously, because you ask always good questions. On Sunday, I had some quiet time and I looked at the literature on the internet on poor versus rich studies, but I did not find much beyond what I already said here in the past, here on the show, that after seventy to ninety thousand dollars per year per household, wealth does not play much role in adding to happiness. There are actually a couple of studies uh, that say that. What it means is if people make uh, less than $70,000 a year, depending on the location, sometimes it's less than 90, their lives are less happy because of the added stress of needing to make ends meet. But once they do have the minimum, To cover their basic needs expenses, the rates of happiness and unhappiness are the same. For people making $150,000 or $450,000 or $4,500,000, there was no difference. This may contradict to what my observation was about the Spanish people from my neighborhood looking so happy. That is because the majority of those people I saw, um, you know, who were really happy, I still remember seeing they were really uh, on sidewalks, joking, Uh, singing, playing, I believe they were all newcomers, they did make less than 70. They did made made less than 40 $30,000 a year, they were new immigrants. That was why they were living together, I think so many in small apartments. Most of them came from great poverty that they experienced in their own country. So they were happy, because what they had here was abundance compared to what they had, uh, the way they lived in their country. Contrast this with the experiences of immigrants from the Soviet Union. Those of the time, uh, you know, that I came to the United States 40, 45 years ago, some immigrants did very well, and were happy. But some were miserable. Why? First, all Soviet immigrants, unlike the Spanish ones, were educated. And though they were not wealthy in the Soviet Union, they did not starve either. Once in the United States, those who could find jobs that were meaningful to them, and provided a decent income were quite happy. But those who could not apply their skills or education because they didn't speak English or because their skills were not needed in the United States, those felt very unhappy. They were suddenly uh, doing menial jobs for low pay. The key was expectations. People from Latin America just wanted to feel uh, that they can feed their families. People from the Soviet Union had very little information about life in America, but were receiving from their relatives these beautiful photos of prosperity, big cars, comfortable homes of their friends and relatives. But few people wrote, Back to the Soviet Union, how hard it was to start, how difficult it was to learn to speak a new language. There was some kind of a fever. Let's go to America. Life is good there. Again, the key was expectations. Those who expected it would be easy or that they would be able to continue doing what they did back at home, but for much more money, were very disappointed. And I met a lot of disappointed people those days. And also very happy people. Uh, So, why go back to, we'll go back to why people who have a lot of money are often unhappy. My take on it is that among young people who come from families with money and I met uh, quite a few of them they suffer from what I coined as a new diagnostic criterion which of course American psychological uh, associations would never accept but I nevertheless I coined this term they suffered from ITF, ITF is invalid of the trust fund, meaning these young people were provided for. Every month they would have money in the bank, they would go to study, but they knew that deep inside that without the money, they were nothing. They could not, like uh, their friends in 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 school, who were working and taking care of themselves, they could not take care of themselves. In a way, this having money in the bank made them impotent. Like they they didn't feel like they could, they wanted to go to work for pennies when they were getting thousands of dollars transferred every month. At the same time, they envied their their quote, not so fortunate friends who were really making efforts and who felt proud and confident. Uh, People who are older and who have money, they have exactly the same problems uh, that people have their needs met, but who don't have much money. But the advantage is people who are not rich have hope That if they make enough money, they would be happier. Rich people cannot have that hope. They are there and they recognize that there is no place to go. Nothing to thrive for because their money did not bring them happiness because they were looking for happiness in the wrong places. Happiness is not coming from having possessions. It comes from being able to do something meaningful to give. We spoke on, on this show about even God, who has everything, still had a need, not for possession. God possessed everything, but for someone to give to. So, and I, I find except those people who are involved in philanthropy and are passionate about it, people who who are rich. Um, Many people are just workaholics. They don't know how to apply them themselves. Any other way. In fact, I worked with one until recently, one person who is a billionaire made a lot of money made $15 billion and didn't know shared with me, he did not know how to enjoy his life. He just knew how to work. And I told him, when, when are you going to take a break, spend time with your wife, just do things for fun. And he was so much into this mode of acting and doing, making yet another deal, buying yet another whatever he was buying, that he didn't, he told me, yeah, 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 I'm, in fact, it was years ago, he told me, uh, yes, I will, I will buy, buy that by March, and it was like I was was speaking in November, by March, I will close this and this and this. And then I will be able to take a break. And I told him a story that I read by Anton Chekhov, that called called cantaloupes. And it was about, you know, it was in old Russia, and bureaucrat, who was receiving a decent um, salary, a bureaucrat, meaning a person who worked for the government, was dreaming that one day he will grow, he will retire once he had whatever 100,000 rubles, he will retire, he would retire and take care of cantaloupes. And he worked for years and years and years and now he was coming of age. Uh, and deep inside he knew that he already had more than 100,000 rubles. But he thought, "What? Well, just, just a little more, and then I retire, and then I start growing cantaloupes. And one day he came home, he went to bed, he fell asleep and died. And that's the end of the story. And of course, it's a very powerful message. How long are going, you going to live? When do you going, you're going to start living? And so this, this man, the billionaire, said to me, Well, Peter, by March, I will start growing cantaloupes. That was a number of years ago. He is still working full days and and is not happy does not does not find ways to feel joy. Oh, I, I As we talk about cantaloupes, I see Daryl from the Bronx is online. Let me take Daryl's call. I am happy to have you uh, to have you. Uh, Daryl, you're online.
1: Thank you. So much. Oh, oh, excuse me for the screaming here. I, I thought I was going to go fast. than thank you so much for taking my call. Um, I'm happy you called. Oh, gosh. Here we go. Um,
0: you have a comment? Doc,
1: I was I was listening to you. Hold on. Let me gi- remove the distraction. I'm having a little challenge with my my balance. That's called an excuse to give me time to do what I should have done before you even got on the line. Dr. Resnick. Yes.
0: Yeah.
1: Is it possible that um, the illusion that people bring into their state of living on this planet at this time um, could be that the, the experiences have been so disparate and the capital distribution let's say on some of the, the people who have have, have been quote unquote, traditionally de- uh, deprived. Uh, sometimes you call them, what do you call it? Uh, underserved, right? Mm-hmm. Is it possible that the current quote unquote, culture wars come out of a number of, different things. One, the time for the average individual to focus on what happened. In other words, what actually occurred during a certain period of time. And so that they can have a better forward period of time. And I bring that up because I noticed that now that I understand more about uh, my own personal experience, 74, African um, person, person of African um, descent, born in the United States, parents, uh, both parents were born in slave, enslaved areas. That, every time I hear the word Nazi, and, and there was also, I think, a, um, a PBS movie that came on about a, a female journalist in which the Nazi colonel confronted the woman with criticizing the laws that were passed in Germany in the 30s that were a model of what had already, that were derived out of the racial laws in the United States. Is it possible that because we have fantasized our childhood, especially if the childhood was... Quote unquote, positive that what we're experiencing, what each individual experiences, is so disparate that even words that, quote unquote, at one time were common now mean different things to different people?
0: Daryl. Hello, Daryl. I'm with you. with you. Are you with me? I'm with you. Yeah, frankly, I, I'm not, I did not understand clearly what your question is, it was a long question. Can you make it into one or two sentences? Because I, you, I lost, I lost track of what you were saying. Um, it, you, you made that's several right.
1: kinds of Th- That's fine, because that's, there's a lot of air pressure changes and I can ask it, you that question sometime in the, in the future. Um, we, you brought up for example what? you you spoke about the mm-hmm. laws
0: in Germany and uh, there were kind of copycats to what was happening in America. I this part I can address. It's i I agree with you. In fact, the whole idea of eugenics of killing uh, those who are not were not believed to be productive members of society. That's that showing oh, experiments on black people in the United States. Dr. Peter Bragan speaks about it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, the concentration camps in Germany were built uh, on a model of slaughterhouses uh, of animals in Chicago. So Germans learned a lot from America. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I don't understand your question, though. I, I disagree with you, but I don't understand the question that you're asking.
1: The question is, is that there's all this talk about the cultural wars and how the United States was at one time very much united in its, in, in its, uh, in its presentation to the world, at least. And now, because um, a loss of quote-unquote sense of privilege among uh, the people of European descent who came here to colonize the land um, and work the people for profit, that there's this 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 new discovery of a word called fascism, and that um, at any minute. Someone's going to come in and snatch your grandmother out of her bed and smash her head in because, he, because she, they come from a certain part of the world. Or, For instance, you, you mentioned the beating of the police officers by the quote-unquote new migrants yes. to, in New York. Yes. Now, besides that, that had been manipulated some, and I'm unclear as to how the police officers, because they always show the police officers on the ground and the young people kicking them like they like the people on the ground were some kind of untrained school kids. And this was like a, a high school fight. Really strange about that incident incident. Yes. However, yes. what is the fact is had you allowed the people to work that would not have happened. And now you have a mayor in New York who's looking to put curfews probably, and I have to apologize for the probably, probably on men's shelters in which that limits their ability to work because many immigrants work Uber and delivery. And so what I'm attempting to, to clarify is, is that this whole illusion of America, back in... You can pick anything. i lived in the America that these people talk about, that people, especially people who immigrate here from Eastern Europe, I, I have no clue what these people are talking about. I've never experienced a free, free and fair election. Would you agree with that?
0: I, I frankly... I am questioning now if I actually did experience
1: free elections, because. Why? Right, but why now? But what happened when it was right in your face? You have to pass a law every time something "quote unquote" good happens for my "quote unquote" race, all invented by Europeans. I didn't have any say as to whether I wanted to be a race or not. I don't even know what a race is, since it, since the same people who talk about race talk about the infallibility of science.
0: Okay, uh, Daryl, let me. And I'm I'm in.
1: looking to remove Darryl, that whole.
0: Daryl, yeah. we have I have seven more minutes. Let me try to answer some of the issues to address some of the issues that you brought up. Okay? okay. Thank you very much for calling. Let me make an attempt.
1: All right. Uh, thank you so much again for taking my call, and let's keep the dialogue going. Hopefully, other people are able to get something out of what I'm asking. My, my position is, is that I've never lived in the freedom that these, uh, that people keep talking about exist in America and that with you. 66% of the population, the group that's in power is still, in, is, is, still insecure, but they get offended if you call them delicate or whatever that woman calls folks, fragile. That's it. Speak peace Beryl. to Dr. Beryl.
0: Thank you for the call. So Daryl brought up uh, several issues, and I'm afraid that I will be able to address only a couple. Uh, But one is um, political inequality or political manipulation. And the other one is economic inequality. Uh, I cannot talk about political manipulation even though lately I have been reading more and more and watching videos on how uh, easily, particularly in the last 10 years, elections can be manipulated. So that I am even questioning uh, when I voted and the, the person I voted for was elected, was it really me electing it or somebody else who is pulling the strings? Unfortunately, I don't have Uh, anything to say about it but I do have something to say about economic inequality Uh, probably Daryl and I will disagree on this uh, issue Uh, but here's what I think Uh, to me economic inequality is natural people by nature are not equal, people are different Uh, some people have a greater drive some people have more talent when when there was for example racism um, not what they call now uh, systematic whatever they call it racism systemic racism because I think it's a, a made-up story because with every year more and more opportunities uh, um, where, given, not given, but uh, available to people of different races. In fact, um, because uh, it's a month of black history and somewhere uh, at the organization to which I belong called the Roses, a non-profit organization, we were discussing the, the wonderful accomplishment of black people of black black people from black community. And I was, it was overwhelming, my God. I saw people, I never heard unfortunately about them before, physicists, mathematicians, uh, a woman who is, I don't remember her name, who works for for 30 years for NASA, a woman who was at at the cradle of creating Zoom, Uh, a Pulitzer Prize winner. So many incredible, uh, incredible Ben Carson, the youngest brain surgeon, and of course, uh, former Secretary of uh, Housing and Urban Development, incredible minds, incredibly successful black people. Yes, there was racism and systemic racism, let's say in in 50s and 60s and, and even 70s, but There is way, way more equality. Black people were never, never so as employed as in the times of uh, the presidency of Donald Trump. So never in the history of America, black people were occupying so many prominent positions and were so successful in business and and science and art and and, uh, literature and and, uh, electronics. So I and some black people will not be successful, no matter how much um, they they're permitted to be but because of quarters permitted to get jobs to which they may not be qualified. So I'm totally against what they call diversity and equity and whatever is uh, whatever war, another term they have uh, because that kills competition that kills entrepreneurship that kills uh, a people's drive to succeed. Because if you know, you will be uh, not chosen because uh, because you, even though you have skills, the quota, you don't fit the quota. That will kill economy. I think a healthy competition is the foundation of uh, the most working system that humanity came up with, and that is capitalism. So, uh, but inequality, it, even in the Bible, it's written, there will be always poor people. And we are encouraged to help, to be charitable toward human, uh, poor people. And if we talk about the spiritual aspect, why there are always poor people, perhaps, and and people who have less talent and less... Uh, uh, creativity uh, it's because the design is that we need people who are poor so that we would practice our kindness and givenness so that is being in the image and likeness of God who needed to give and that's why the humanity was created so uh, to answer to address at least part of what Daryl brought up I believe that economic at least in the last 30 years that I observed in America, economic opportunities are there for everyone, for people of different color and black people absolutely proved that they can be super successful. And as I said, some will not be successful. And there is such thing as as learned helplessness and people who apply for um, help rather than going and getting education applied for subsidies from the government, they they get, they're not thriving, they're not making an effort because of well, because obviously there are so so many black people who thrive and do succeed. and the key is education. I have to finish now, my time is up. Thank you for being with me today. Uh, peace to all who want to live in peace.